Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Welcome, church. So glad you made it this morning. You excited to be here? Well, uh, my dad and I were a little bit confused about who was preaching this morning. I thought it was him. He thought it was I. And so I quickly wrote out a message this morning that, I, that, that the Holy Spirit really put on my heart. I can't be exhaustive because I, I wish I could be because this is something really the Holy Spirit has been, this particular message. The Holy Spirit has really been speaking to me lately. So uh, I'm just going to give you uh, just my thoughts about prayer. And um, I'm excited again to be here with you. Uh, So thank you for your prayers. I went camping this week with um, my sons and uh, we made it back. We had 14 boys. It was like a father-son thing. And uh, we went up to Frank Church Wilderness of No Return. Thank God we returned. But uh, yeah, we had a great, great time. Uh, We had flying spiders. We had a killer deer that was trying to drag me, I'm not even joking, trying to drag me out of my tent. We had a stranger, a person, walk into our camp at midnight. I mean, come on, you can't even make, you can't make this stuff up. It's like, it rained on us. It's just like, I think I'm the Jonah every time we go on a camping trip. But what was funny, <laughs> uh, it was the, the, I think it was the night, the night before we went camping, we already had kind of our assignments for who was sleeping in what tent. And so I told my son, hey, uh, Quincy, you, you're going to be sleeping with uh, Jaden and Wesley. You're going to be sleeping with um, Tristan. And then uh, Quincy asked me, hey, dad, who, who are you going to be uh, in a tent with? And I said, Marshall. And then uh, Quincy looks at me at, with this serious look and he goes, dad, are you comfortable with that? What do you mean, son? Right? Does he have tuberculosis? Boy, tell me now. What do you know that I don't know? And uh, I just said, hey, it's not Marshall that I'm uncomfortable with. It's going up into the Frank Church wilderness. That's what I'm uncomfortable with. What's interesting is when we come to this passage, I think many, let's, let's be really honest. How do I say this? When, when we read this teaching of Jesus on prayer, Many people get uncomfortable. Many people get uncomfortable. The reason why we get uncomfortable is because Jesus clearly has a higher view of prayer than we do. Especially in the modern Western world. Let me, let me, let me read the, just a portion of the teaching of Jesus on prayer. Whoever says to this mountain, be cast into the sea, And then Jesus says, and it will be done as you say. Nah. Jesus, no. He didn't really mean that. And then he gives the application. He says, hey, homeboys, he's talking to his disciples. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. What? And it will be yours. 
I'm just going to make you uncomfortable as I stare at you. What? So are you telling me that Jesus is like one of those dishonor, dishonest preacher man on TV who's selling us something, right? Like the caricature of the, the prosperity preachers that are dishonest and greedy and they're, you know, they're trying to uh, manipulate us to give them money, whatever. Is that, is that kind of what Jesus is like here? Clearly, that's not obviously what Jesus is like. But it's clear that Jesus has a higher view of prayer than we do. It's remarkable. Jesus thinks prayer is powerful. In fact, C.S. Lewis, I say this all the time, but C.S. Lewis said this. Prayer is unlimited, and I think he's right, by space and time and apparently mountains. Apparently mountains. No, obviously Jesus, when he's teaching on this about prayer, he's not literally saying you can say to the Rocky Mountain Range, be cast into the Pacific Ocean. Right? There, we're still confined as creatures. Are you a creature or a human here? So we're still confined to the laws of nature. Can I get an amen to that? So just so you know, yes, Jesus is using metaphor to describe the, the dynamism of prayer. So prayer, and again, I think C.S. Lewis is right, is unlimited by space and time. And unless God exercised discretionary power over prayer, it would destroy us. I'll say it this way. Prayer, everyone say prayer. Prayer, prayer is so powerful and because you and I are so twisted, we would pray enormous prayers that would bring this world into ruination. That's how, that's how powerful prayer is. In fact, um, I remember in junior high, I had three crushes. And I prayed on three different occasions that, that God, would you, you know, I'm a redhead. I'm not the most attractive guy in the world. But can, can you like manipulate her heart to really like me? That was a disastrous prayer. And I'm so glad that God exercised discretionary power over that. Because I would have been married to four different women. Come on, somebody. Right? Some of you, if, if, if God answered every single prayer, because prayer is so powerful, some of you would be in Vegas. Some of you would be, how do I say this? You'd be doing cocaine. I, let's, okay, let's move on. You would be losing your mind. You'd be married to the wrong person. You would be out of the will of God. You would not be fulfilling the destiny that God has for you. That is why um, God has to exercise discretionary power because, come on, we don't, we don't know what we really, uh, I will say it this way. Um, what's the better way to say that? I don't think we truly know what we want. I do believe, and, and let me say as, as a, 
a rejoinder to that. I do believe God wants to give us at times what we want. And of course, some of you, and I'm going back and forth here because there's so much confusion on prayer. Because some of you are thinking, oh, so, you, so you're saying God wants to spoil us and God's some sort of like cosmic vending machine that we could just manipulate for our own outcome, right? No, that's, man, no, that's not what this teaching on prayer is about. Jesus is simply making the case. It's remarkable that prayer is powerful. Are you hearing me? Of course we can't control God. Can I get an amen? We can't manipulate certain outcomes before God in prayer. Certainly can't do that. But, but implicit within this teaching text, Jesus implies that God will, and this is just so crazy to think about this on a metaphysical level, that Jesus, I just wanted to say that word, to see, just wanted to make sure you're awake. But Jesus allows himself. You can't control him. He's sovereign. He's God. You're not, right? But within that framework, Jesus allows himself to be influenced by us. What? It's called the dignity of causality. Right? It's called, it's, it's, it, Jesus because he wants to be in relationship with us and because Jesus in the kingdom of God is profoundly relational, God wants to involve us in what he's doing in this world. And so he invites us to pray and to seek, and we'll get to this point here quickly, to ask. Let me just say this really quick. I think we gotta be careful with what we would call unanswered prayers. What we would call unanswered prayers. Because I think so many times Christians, what they do is they have an unanswered prayer and then they build an entire theological perspective around that unanswered prayer and then they project that onto God. And then they just work from the assumption that God really doesn't answer prayers and then prayer is just more of a therapeutic thing for us. No wonder, and I, I've, I've, man, I've counseled so many people and the, really the implicit thing that dominates their consciousness is, well, I had one answered, uh, unanswered prayer, so God must not want to answer my prayers. And behind that is God does not care. No wonder people don't engage in prayer, right? We have to be very careful when it comes to what we call unanswered prayers, we have to make sure that, hey, what shapes our understanding of prayer and our life before God in prayer is the teaching of Jesus, not our quote-unquote personal ex experience. Here's the thing, and I'm getting a little bit off tangent. I'll get back to, to my suit notes today. I don't even know what I'm talking about. We'll get back to my notes here. But I, it's funny. My kids and I, we have a different perception of time. So... Uh, Wesley, this, when we were uh, hiking uh, up about two miles up to our campsite, within, I'm not even joking, within 35 seconds, he looks to me, and parents, you know what, you know, you know what I'm going to say. He looks at me and says, Dad, are we there yet? <laughs> and I'm like, I gave him the crazy eyes. I'm like, dude, I just told you this is going to be a 90-minute walk. And it's the incline is, or, or the grade or whatever you want to call that. I'm trying to, you know, be technical. Uh, 
is, 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 so, is, is very steep that's going to take us a while to get to our campsite. So no, we're not almost there yet. It's been 35 seconds, little boy. <laughs> Within five minutes, he asked the same question. His perception of time is so different than mine. In fact, it's funny. My kids will ask for ice cream all the time. Do I want to give them ice cream? Yeah, because I also want some ice cream. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I'll tell them, guys, we're going to get ice cream, right? I promise that to them. Like, let's say it happens in the morning. And then what usually happens throughout the day about 175,000 times is, Dad, when are we going to get the ice cream? When are we going to get the ice cream? When are we going to get the ice cream? Well, I have a different perception of time than they do. I know what's best for them. Come on, somebody. I'm going to get them some ice cream. It's just not going to happen how they think it should happen according to their perception of time. Because I'm just way smarter than them. And their prefrontal cortex has not developed, right? They're not 25 yet. In other words, they're not that bright. We're not that bright, guys. What if your unanswered prayer, what if it's about ready to be answered? What if your unanswered prayer is dependent on your wrong perception of time? When God has a different perception of time and he's saying, come on, hey, keep on believing. Keep on trusting and clinging to the promise that I gave you. Right? Keep on, keep on clinging to me and my faithful word over you. Because I will fulfill it in my time. So prayer is important. Jesus has a higher view of prayer than we do. But number two, in this teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 11, I, I see it. You might see it differently. You're wrong. I'm right on this. <laughs> I see this prayer as a petition. I don't see whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea. It will be done as I say. Where did that voice come from, guys? As if I'm in charge, right? That's how people think. Like, I'm in charge. God, you're my servant. I'm going to manipulate your will, your cosmic will, to do what I want you to do. Hey, mountain, get into the sea because I say so. Here's the thing. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is not demanding. It's not wishing. It's asking. It's asking. It's asking. Whoever asks in my name shall receive. Shall receive. So here's the thing. The practical heart of the spiritual atmosphere, please hear me today, of prayer is asking. This also makes us, and I'm going to explain this in, in about five minutes. This also makes us, I think, extremely uncomfortable. You mean, Chris, that Jesus 
really cares about what's going on practically in my life? Yes. Let me read Matthew chapter 7 to you. Ask. Whoa. There it is. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, better translation, twisted, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I could spend five days talking about this, but we don't have time. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Everyone say, ask. Ask him. Psalm chapter 2. I love this passage. It's this messianic figure it's, it's Christological, right? We can connect this to Jesus himself in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4 and the baptism of Jesus. And in this psalm in verse 7, it says, I will tell of the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. What? Even this messianic figure in Psalm chapter 2 who we find out in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4 is King Jesus. The Father is asking him to ask him for the nations. Even the Son of God is asked to ask. Ask of me. Am I I too loud this morning for you? Some of you are like, am I scaring you? Okay, if I'm scaring you, just let me know. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Wow. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, a long time ago, he, he basically he exegeted this passage and said the rule of the kingdom is asking. The very heart of prayer. If you, don't, if you don't get this, you won't get prayer. The very heart of prayer is petitionary. Ask. John chapter 14, we're at the beginning of this Johannine discourse. That's just a fancy way to talk about this, com- this tete-a-tete, this conversation between, between Jesus and the disciples before his death. And this is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will, will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. Wow. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, I, I think I'm way too, ex, too excited for you guys this morning. What? At the end of this, this discourse in John chapter 16, he basically recapitulated what he said to his disciples earlier. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Asking is the practical heart of the spiritual atmosphere of prayer. But here's the thing, that makes us uncomfortable. Because we've been taught that, oh man, God's just going to give us what we need. He doesn't want to give us what we want. Yes, there is truth to that. I don't, I'm not an advocate of saying, hey God, give me that Bentley. That would be amazing. I'm waiting. <laughs> right? 
So we're not talking, please, please understand what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Of course, Jesus wants to give us what we need, but I think, man, he also wants to give us what we want. I want my children, 7,000 of all 7,000 of them to serve the Lord all the days of their life. That's a want, right? I have so many desires that I think are good desires that God wants to answer. And he intends to answer. This is a story um, by Pete Gregg. He's an author on prayer. I think he has some great stuff on prayer. He talks about uh, this vacation in the Adriatic uh, Sea. And so he talks about he's sailing in this boat. His words, it was a magical week. Um, uh, the powder, the whole week, about seven days, 10 days, whatever. Uh, it was just powder blue skies. So they're weaving in and out of um, a lot of different islands at night. And this just sounds amazing. At night, they would drop anchor in harbor and they would, they would dive and they would swim and they would play cards um, by lamplight uh, as they harbored in a, in a little area. Sounds amazing to me. How many of you say that sounds amazing to you, right? Uh, everything, and this is what he said, this vacation was perfect. Everything was perfect until a dark, one day, a dark swirling cloud of mosquitoes appeared. This is what he said. Quickly, James, one of his best friends that was right next to him, started praying against the mosquitoes. And this is what James said. Lord, he said, lifting his hand like Moses, preparing to part the Red Sea. And then using the other hand to um, swipe away all the mosquitoes, he says, we ask you to just remove these wretched mosquitoes right now in the name of Jesus. Pete Gregg, the author of this story, said that he objected. He didn't say anything, but he objected to this kind of prayer. And these were his reasons. Number one, theological. God in his mind, is way too busy with uh, big world problems like the Middle East and mm, a lot of different things, right? Two, he objected to this kind of prayer because of environmental reasons. Mosquitoes are presumably, which I disagree with them, I think they're from Satan. <laughs> but mosquitoes are presumably a part of God's finely tuned ecological uh, order and Christians are not immune from the laws of nature. So he's like, okay, theologically I have a problem with this. Doesn't God have bigger, big world problems like genocide and issues in the Middle East and other big things, right? Environmental, he's like, hey, we're still not immune to the laws of nature, right? So we just kind of have to bear through this. And then three, pastoral. And these are, this is basically, I'm summarizing what he said. This is what he's thinking as his best friend is saying, mosquitoes, be gone. He says, God probably won't um, answer. This is what he's saying. God probably won't answer uh, this insignificant prayer request like this. And because of that, and this is what he's thinking, and because of that, uh, his kids will never believe in God and will probably grow up to be Satanists. This is a man who prays all the time, objecting to this kind of prayer. Well, Something happened, and it was rather annoying to him. At the same time, James was swatting these stinking mosquitoes off his face and praying against them, a gentle breeze swept the mosquitoes away just like that. 
and probably hurled, hurtled these mosquitoes to the other boat that had a lot more or a lot less prayer, right? Here's the thing. He came to the realization, yes, it's possible that that, that was just a well-timed meteorological fluke. But he realized in that moment that, wow, God actually does care about the little things. Will that happen every time? No. But God does care about all the practical things that we care about. Are you hearing me? But what he began to realize is that small requests always lead to an eruption of praise. Small requests that are answered always leads to thankfulness and understanding that God actually cares. That God actually cares. So the reason why we pray for the little things, I think, is because God wants to teach us how to trust him for the big things. If we can't believe God for little things, we certainly can't believe him for big things. Now, I've, I, I sense, I get it, I get it. My, my, this is, I'm so analytical and I'm like, okay, Chris. <laughs> oh, Chris, you naive little boy, right? This is, I think like this, like, well, man, I mean, will God do that all the time? No, but I think the, the point, I just want to make the point is that God hears and that yes, God does answer prayer and prayer in the words of Eugene Peterson is like technology. It is, it is our way that it's a gift. I'll say it this way. It's a gift that God has given us to relate to him so that he can be influenced, not controlled. Do you understand the difference? Influenced because God is deeply relational and he wants you to know him on a deeply relational level. God is not some faceless cosmic blob of gas. God is a person. Come on, somebody. And I have many more thoughts on this, but God is a person who is inviting us to participate in the way of the kingdom, in his life, and in his goodness. And this is why Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? Could you imagine blind Bartimaeus is screaming out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus turns and looks at the blind man and says, what do you want? I mean, I'm, I'm sure Bartimaeus is like, uh, Jesus, uh, maybe you're not the son of God, right? Of course, you know what I need. I can't see. What is, what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is asking blind Bartimaeus what he wants because Jesus is inviting Bartimaeus into this life of prayer, into this life of kingdom. And the rule of this kingdom is asking. Can I get an amen to that? It's asking. We all know, if you've been in church for a while, we all know the importance of listening to the Holy Spirit. We call this listening prayer. We know the dynamics, for some of us, of intercession. We understand that uh, meditating on God's word is essential for following Jesus. It's a sine qua non of the Christian life. 
Uh, we understand that fasting and silence and solitude are so important when it comes to being with Jesus. Some of you just started to shake because you're like, there's no way I'm ever going to fast, right? We even understand the neurotheology of prayer, that prayer rewires the brain and it creates neural pathways as you, pray, as you pray. In fact, we have this thing called neuroplasticity, right? The more you think about something, the more you pray about something, the more changes happen for good in your brain. We also know the physiological ramifications of neurotheology. The more you pray, the more uh, your blood pressure regulates itself. The less stress you have, that's all important. We know that the more we pray, even psychologists will tell you, the more you pray, the more it affects your body on a cellular level. So I believe in all of that. But what's interesting is when you go to books and even in preaching, not much is said about simply asking God for help when it comes to prayer. Because we don't expect him to answer us. I know I'm saying this a lot, but come on, somebody. I know I'm not the only one that has struggled with this. In fact, as one author on prayer wrote, we lose ourselves in the heights and depths of prayer where there is no longer a place for the person to simply make a request. God wants you to ask him because God is relational. I remember um, a while back, I, uh, I was at um, a water park trying not to catch tuberculosis. It was a really hot day, and I was, I, I, I've shared this with the church, really struggled at that time with some health issues. So I, it was about 100 degrees, and I'm sitting there, my kids are having fun. I could... I could barely move. I mean, the fatigue, I mean, I would try to lift this leg and it was just this weird, I can't even describe it. It's just weird fatigue in my leg. So I could barely move. And then my breathing was just, it wasn't right. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, God, so my kids are off with my wife and they're having the, the time of their life. And I'm just drenched in sweat and trying not to get germs from everybody who passed me. Right. I'm sitting there and I just, I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me to ask him what was on my heart. And I asked him, and I was really honest. We'll talk about honest prayer down the road. But I asked him, okay, you want me to ask this prayer? So I'm going to ask it right now. God, physically, I don't know if I can do it anymore. I can barely move, God. I can barely breathe. I don't know if I can do it. My mind and my heart, they're with you. But for some stinking reason, my body isn't. But I felt like you just, I felt you whispered in my heart to ask you. So I asked him, God, I rarely do this. I go, I go, God, I just asked in the next 15, 20 minutes, you would just confirm to me that I'm supposed to continue to preach because I can't do this with how I'm feeling anymore. I need you to confirm this. I wasn't demanding I just, it was a response to what I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask him. So I just asked it. I kind of asked it flippantly. And then I went back to kind of like reading and um, wishing I wasn't at the water park. No joke. 17 minutes later, 17 minutes later, my mentor 
called me and said, Chris, I just felt like the Holy Spirit dropped this on my heart. You are called for such a time as this. And he goes, I don't even know what's going on right now with you, but I feel so direct that the Holy Spirit said you are called to preach and to teach and he will give you the strength that you need. You see, God answers prayer. If we're not careful, we can turn, this is, please hear me, we can turn prayer into this otherworldly event uh, or we can turn it into an activity or reduce it to an activity uh, that requires us to have a, com- a completely different plane of existence, right? Like sometimes many people think that we have to become a Trappist monk or we have to like learn the art of being a contemplative and we have to be so otherworldly and we've got to reject everything and we've got to live off of stale bread in order for us to live in the life of the kingdom. That is just nonsense. If you want to live off stale bread, that's great. I don't necessarily think that's the Holy Spirit. But prayer at its heart, prayer at its heart is all about petitioning the Father, asking God for help. Prayer is, I need you right now, and I don't even know what to do, God. God, I'm desperate. I don't have the words to say. I don't know what I'm feeling. Could you do something? God wants you to talk to him like that. Prayer is not theological calculus. Right? It's not, many people think, man, I got to turn into like either like some quantum physicist with a theological degree in in morphology. I'm just making words up right now. (laughs) In order to connect With the king of kings, no. Prayer is just simply opening your heart to God and asking. C.S. Lewis said this, if you were to to, uh, rule out or even treat asking as a lower form of prayer, then you must admit the entire historical tradition of Christian prayer, including the Lord's prayer, has been wrong. I, I I would even add to that. I think you have to remove the Psalms, all of it, you would have to certainly remove the Sermon on the Mount. You would have to remove the Johannine Discourse. You have to remove the entire book of James. I could just, basically, you just have to remove the entire, you would just have to basically, you would have, how do I say this? Nothing would be left of Scripture itself if you took away petitionary prayer. Because what we find in Scripture is that God answers prayer of the desperate. In fact, Psalm 56 says that God counts all, all, all of our tears. Prayer is just being honest before God and asking him for help. I need a miracle. My body's not working. My kids are crazy. My boss, he doesn't even make sense. My children, my, ah, this world. It's like, what is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to the people of God in this hour? I think it's, ask me and I will give you. Ask me and I will give you. Am I making sense here this morning? So, 
Jesus as just a rehash. Jesus has a higher view of prayer than we do, number one. Number two, Jesus wants us to ask him because he's deeply relational. I want my kids to ask me because I value them. I, I respect the dignity of free, authentic freedom. And so I'm not going to demand anything from them. I want them to come to me as their father and I want them to ask. And I promise you, I'm a, I'm a yes, we're all twisted, but I'm a good dad. And I'm not going to give them ice cream five times a day, but I will give them ice cream. You're hearing me. I got I, I to say that over and over and over because I don't know if some of you believe me, right? Is God our Father that good? Yes. And then finally, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say on his teaching on prayer? It is absolutely fundamental. He says, have faith in God. As we close, and then I, I want to pray for us this morning. Faith is not... Um, like Alice in Wonderland, it's not thinking of six impossible things before breakfast. Before you get to your oatmeal, it's like, okay, okay, faith. Urgh. You grunt, and then you try to think of, okay, six impossible things. That's what the modern Western world like thinks of faith, right? Faith is not whistling in the dark. Come on, somebody. Faith is not, and this is American, American civic religion, or you can even say this is American pop culture and how they think of faith. Faith is not having faith in faith. Faith or, 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 or having belief in belief, right? The song that we grew up in the 90s, I won't even mention the artist because he's, he's kind of a troubling figure, but it was this. I believe I can fly, right? I believe I can touch the sky. Come on, sing it with me, somebody. I believe it. Ah! Oh, so you can believe. You can fly. See, that's, that's how Americans think of faith. It's like we believe in belief. Or we have faith in faith. That's not what faith is. Faith is simply, totally, please hear me, relying on God and committing ourselves to him for time and eternity and trusting his promises. In other words, you don't need to have perfect or great faith to be in faith. What you need to have is you need to have faith in a great God. You don't need to have great faith and there's nothing wrong with great faith. My wife talked about great faith last week, and that's amazing. But so many people, they struggle with, oh, man, I don't know how to get great faith. And so they just like, they struggle with faith their entire life. The point that I'm making is you don't need to have great faith in faith. You need to have great faith in a great God who cares for you. Who Shane talked about is sovereign over the universe, over space and time over every single thing, who sent his son into human history, who gave his life on the cross, who was resurrected on the third day. Come on, somebody. And then he ascended into heaven. Heaven? Heaven? Heaven. Chris, come on. And then he poured out his spirit on his people. And he took a group of people, a group of people from around this world. He formed a multinational 
tra- or a multi-ethnic transnational group of people and form them around King Jesus. That is miraculous. This is the God we serve. And we can have faith in him. We don't have faith in faith. 2 Timothy, as I close, 1, chapter 1, 11 through 12, simply says, Paul says this, I know, and this is such a great definition of faith, I know whom I believe. I know whom I believe. That's faith. Faith is not like, oh, come on. Right? Faith is not trying to get more faith. Faith is knowing whom you believe. Well, how do I know whom I believe? Well, it's just really simple. Really simple. You, you got to spend time learning to be with Jesus. That's where faith starts. You do that by just simply worshiping, taking 15 minutes out of your day, throughout your day, and you just worship and you pray. And we're going to talk more of this. And this is just the beginning of, of what I want to talk about prayer. Prayer is so much more than this, but it's not less than this. And as you simply learn to be with Jesus, you simply focus on Jesus, God will then grow your faith. He'll begin to answer the little prayers. You'll get a promise one day. You'll, you'll think to yourself, okay, I think that's you, Holy Spirit, so I'm going to go with it. So you pray it. And you ask God for help in a specific situation. You see God answer that request. Guess what happens to you? Your heart is filled with gratitude. And then in gratitude, that's where God does, sows the seeds of faith. And then, you, and then, and then your, your, your imagination and your heart and your, your, your mind begins to expand. And then you start to believe God for even bigger things. As you keep on asking and you keep on knocking and you keep on seeking, you'll see that God, no matter what, will always prove faithful to you. Here's the biggest thing as I close, and I want to pray for us. The biggest, the biggest obstacle to faith is this perpetual cycle of news and social media that we glut every single day. We are on our phones way too much. I got back from camp, uh, camp, camp, camping, and I, I want, I'm a news guy, I'm a data guy. I look at, I don't know why I enjoy peer-reviewed scientific lit, right? I just, I glut that stuff. So I'm running through the data, and if you're a scientist here, we love you, you're amazing, but you, you, can, you can probably just smile at this. Scientists, by definition, are very pessimistic. Whew. So I came home, from a great, great, amazing time with my sons. And I'm reading through all this lit and all this data and everything. And I begin to feel really, really strange. I'm like, oh my God, we're all, and this is what I'm thinking. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Oh, the world is over. I, and I, and I realized in that moment, I was, I was feeding my mind and my heart with, with a doomsday narrative. And it was stealing my joy and my peace and my faith. And so I just, I said, Chris, to myself, I talk to myself in the third person a lot, guys. It's what happens when you turn 45. I told myself, I, I, I can't do this anymore. So I stopped it. 
what I was, and it's nothing that was bad or anything, but I just knew I had to put that aside and I had to get into God's word. And I spent in about an hour reading through scripture. And then I went and took a walk because all the kids were sleeping. Thank God. I take walks at nine o'clock. I just went around my cul-de-sac and just prayed. And my heart just opened up to the very presence of God. And I could feel his presence. And when I, here's the thing, when I feel God's presence, that's where I think faith is at. Now we don't live by feelings. Understand what I'm saying. There are some days we don't feel God's presence. That's okay. But there's just something about having God's presence consistently in your life. Whether you feel him or not, there's just something when you recognize that God is with you, that you, can, you, you, you begin to realize you can handle anything, right? So how do you develop faith? You just simply have to be with Jesus. I close by saying this. Henry Nouwen said this. I think the reason why, in his words, people don't pray is because we're afraid. We're afraid that God is way more demanding and less loving than we think he is. God, try to figure out how to say this as I close. God knows exactly what you need today. God knows what you want today. God knows the desires of your heart today. And he's a good father. Oh man, he's good. And he wants to answer your prayers. So the message today is let's ask. Well, Chris, that's for like children and savages. No, that's for the rest of your life. That's the heart of, that's the very heart of prayer. Ask me and I will give you. Well, again, I'm not going to manipulate God. Stop it. God wants you to ask him. And here's the good thing. If you ask a really dumb request, God is so good. He'll say, no. You're dumb. I say that to my children all the time. No, I'm kidding. Man, God knows what you need. So bow your heads and close your eyes. I declare over this house that we are a house of miracles. We're closing right now. The worship team is going to come up. We are a house of miracles. So let's ask for a miracle today. Ask of me and I will give you. Whoever asks in my name, I will do it. Have faith in God. Whoever says it's a mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, it will be done as you say. I know about you as your eyes are closed. I believe God wants to do a miracle in your life this morning. If that's you, you need a miracle. It might be a small miracle, medium-sized miracle, a big miracle. Could you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Okay. If your hands are raised, can you stand? Could you stand? Could you lift up your hands? You don't have to do this if you don't feel comfortable. But lift up your hands right now if you're standing. And let's just ask. Let's ask 
the Holy Spirit for a miracle. I'm going to give you 15 seconds. Your eyes closed. You don't have to blurt it out. But just whisper right now. Just ask him specifically, God, I need you to do this. Tell him how much you trust him. Tell him how much you love him. And just ask. All right, put your hands down and put it on your heart. Father, we thank you today that you would do miracles in this house. Father, I thank you for healing bodies. I thank you for healing those of us in this room that are struggling with mental health problems. I thank you that anxiety and fear do not have authority over your sons and daughters. I thank you that perfect love casts out all fear. I take authority over fear right now in Jesus' name, and I release the life and the peace that is found only in Christ Jesus. Father, I, I thank you that those who need a, a small miracle, Lord, I thank you that you would answer that. Father, we thank you that those who need a big miracle, that you are such a good God and that you would do a miraculous work in their life in Jesus' name. We, this morning, put our trust in you, King Jesus, and we thank you that you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.